Welcome to September 26. I'm Julia Jabeur. I'm Jill Baton. And we are here to explore the German elections. You're a German citizen. I am. I'm not a German citizen. You're not. You can vote. I can't. And we've realized that we both do not know enough, considering we have lived here as long as we have. Mm -hmm. We found that our friends and our colleagues had a lot of questions about the German elections, which is why now, in a five-part series, followed by an epilogue, we'll be getting into all of it, essentially. Everything from how to vote, who the actual parties are that are big players in this election, and so much more. And in the first episode, Julia speaks to Claire Richardson all about how a German election actually works. Bear Radio. Some say that the German general election in September is the most important election this year. Germany's national elections are less than two months away. And when the polls are starting to come in, interesting polls. The CDU might have been Germany's leading party for over a decade, but recent polling suggests that this might be about to change. I'm intimidated, honestly. So I'm taking the lead on this episode, but... As always, Jill is here in studio with me, and she will be jumping in every now and again with a question or two. Can we uh, start the formalities by just having you introduce yourself, your name, your surname, who you work for and what you do? My name is Claire Richardson. I'm a journalist who's been working in Berlin for the last six years. This is my second round of German Bundestag elections, and I'm excited to talk through all the details with you. I'm excited that you're here because, as I said to you, um, off mic. I am German. I well, I have a German passport. My Are friends, you? my friends, yeah, my friends back home didn't believe that that made me a citizen. <laughs> I realized it did make me a citizen when um, a ballot arrived in my post box, and, and that was, was the first like, time you knew. <laughs> I was like, I am supposed to do something with this, but I have no idea. And so you thought, let's make a podcast. So I thought this time round, rather than being part of the problem and just not doing anything, I clearly have some power. I just don't know what to do with it, which is why we're here with the. September 26th podcast. And we named it September 26th because, well, that's the big day. And I don't know why. <laughs> well, so, thank you for your public service. I think this you. is going to be well received by a lot of people Good. who are afraid to admit they have no idea what's going on, but okay. do actually hold power in one of the most important countries in the world, like the strongest economy in Europe um, that is going to have a mega role, not just in the EU, but worldwide. So let's talk about what the Let's do it. So let's get right into it. I want to know, so this September election, people are talking about it as this like mega super election, mm -hmm. the biggest since reunification. Why? The reason people are paying attention to this is because we are coming to the end of the Merkel era after 16 years that she's been the chancellor of Germany. She's not running again. She's on her way out. And there's going to be a new chancellor of Germany after September 26th. And so it's also coming at a moment where the world is looking to Germany, also just geopolitically speaking. This is the first elections after Brexit, where the UK left the European Union. It, we've also got a new president in the White House. So Europe is looking kind of how it will 
go forward with relations with its ally, whether, you know, how much the transatlantic relationship is going to be important and how much Europe is going to chart its own path. And that is very much something that Germany is going to take the lead on. So the world's eyes are basically wondering who's going to follow Frau Merkel, Mutti, this Mm -hmm. woman who's a household name. And if you think about it, she first became chancellor in 2005. Like, What were you doing 16 years ago? Didn't even have an iPhone. I was in high school and I had just saved up for my first flip phone. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That was a while ago, yes. So she's been around since then. She's, you know, she's had a rapport with, I think, four different U.S. administrations Mm. and obviously world leaders. She's just been a staple of German politics. And that's been one of the criticisms recently is there's been a lot of stasis in Mm. German politics at the federal level. So everyone's looking to see, you know, who's going to replace her. How does that work? How does that all fit in? How does that how does that fit into kind of what we're looking at today? Yeah. Okay. so first of all, let's just break down what these elections are actually for. The main one that everyone's going to be paying attention to are the elections to the Bundestag, which is the German parliament. Uh, We can get into the details later, but basically those elected representatives that we are electing on September 26th are going to be the people who ultimately choose who is chancellor. So back to why is anybody paying attention to this so closely? A parliament, it is the body that makes the laws, right? It's the legislative branch of government. um, And it's the place where you have people hash out their differences, their arguments, their disagreements. It's a group of lawmakers who are directly elected by the population to then go and make laws and policy that is applicable nationwide in Germany. So when I say at the federal level, what I mean is the national laws that affect um, everybody in Germany. Got it. There is also the state level in Germany, and Germany has a federal system where the states actually have quite a lot of power relative to some other Western uh, democracies. They've got the 16 Länder, the 16 states, um, and they have their own parliaments and they can make their own sets of laws. But at the national level, anything that's decided in this federal election will help determine the people who are then making policy that will apply in all of the land across the board. Jill had mentioned before that some people didn't even know that they were states in Germany. I don't think I knew before no. before getting interested in Germany and coming here, if was, I can be totally honest. It was just a big massive land uh-huh. with, some, <laughs> with some cities on it. <laughs> the Deutschland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you know, speaking about just one big mass and division between states, did reunification impact this parliamentary structure and this government structure that we see today? So the short answer is not really, not by much. Okay. East Germany basically acceded uh, into West Germany. And so that's West Germany just absorbing East Germany and having new states brought into what was essentially the existing system. There have been um, some reforms, but basically the basic law, which is the constitution that governs Germany, ended up just applying to former East Germany. So what they did is they created about 150 new seats to represent those eastern states uh, within the German parliament. How many Um, seats are there currently? So parliament currently has a record number of members of parliament. Those are the lawmakers. It has 709 people. What? Yeah, well, I I think just even to explain the Bundestag itself in relation, like where it sits is as a, you know, constitutional body of of uh, German policymaking in the federal government. Yes, please. Okay. So in the United States, you have, you've got the judiciary, you've got the executive branch, you've got the legislative branch, you've got these three different things working together. And the idea is there's checks and balances, you know, to make sure that one 
body doesn't end up with too much power. Uh, in Germany, they have five so-called constitutional bodies in the federal government. So again, this is at the national level. Sounds complicated. It's I'll, I'll break it down, though. Um, so, so there's this division of powers there for the same reasons, to keep each branch uh, have each branch keep the others in check. The legislative, so the lawmaking, policymaking, the people who make the laws, that is split into two different chambers. There's the Bundestag, which is what we've been talking about now. And this is basically the lower house of parliament. And that's the one that has the insane number of seats in it. And it's the one that you're going to be voting for to elect people to so that they can then choose the chancellor after the elections. Then there's the Bundesrat, which is kind of like an upper house, like closer to the Senate in the U.S. model. So if you had to compare it, you would say the Bundestag is like the House of Representatives and the Bundesrat is like the Senate. Um, so for those of us who don't know what a Senate is, yeah. what is it? So it's also a rep it's also a congressional representative legislative body, right? Um, the idea behind the Bundesrat is to give more proportional representation to states that have bigger populations. And so the way that's chosen is it's actually a body representing the 16 Länder, the 16 different German states. And it's made up of members of government from those states. And each gets between three and six members, depending on their population. So it's much smaller. Uh, it's, it's in a different building. And they are involved in approving a lot, but not all legislation in tandem with the Bundestag. Why are they separate? If you've essentially got all of the lender in one room, that is essentially national. Why have the big group and then the mini group? It's a system designed to provide different kinds of representation, right? Okay. You want to represent the state's interests. The idea is that it wouldn't be fair to give Berlin the same voting rights as Nordrhein-Westphalia, which has a much bigger population. So you want to make sure that there is some representation for for those interests based on numbers. And then you have the Bundestag, which is directly elected by the people, right? It's the most direct mandate where you can actually say, I want this person to go into parliament and represent my interests. Whereas the Bundesrat is like a little more convoluted and provides a different kind of system of representation. Okay. So there's those two are the legislature. They're the ones actually making the laws. Then there's the judiciary, which is checking to make sure that the laws they're making are actually in line with the basic law and the constitution and are actually like legal. They can't just make some law that's flagrantly out of bounds. Uh, that's the federal constitutional court. And then the third typical branch you think about is the executive branch. And in Germany, that is the president and the federal cabinet. And most people, I think, who aren't from Germany, if you ask who's the president of Germany, what would you say? Probably Merkel. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which exactly. Which is not accurate because we all know her as chancellor. Exactly. Yeah, it was a good trivia question. It gets, <laughs> gets them every time. Um, so there's a German president. It is not Angela Merkel. It's currently Frank-Walter Steinmeier. He is the president within that executive representation. And then you have Merkel, who is the chancellor, like you said. And that's part of the federal cabinet. So you can kind of think of the chancellor and Merkel kind of as like the captain of the ship of state, and then all of her ministers are in charge of conducting government business. So what does Mr. President Mann do? He is largely ceremonial. <laughs> he gets to live in a, yeah. Is he like our royal family? That's actually, yeah, it's a good way of thinking about it. So he's the head of state. In, in the UK, for example, the head of state would be the queen, the monarch. 
So he's like the closest thing <laughs> Germany has to. I mean, that's, that's a huge stretch, but he's the head of state, right? <laughs> yeah. He does all the ceremonial stuff. It's a little bit like you're above the fray of politics. Okay. Um, he does. He does have some some roles and responsibilities, but like I said, it's it's largely uh, marginalized compared to the role of the chancellor. And then you have the head of government, and that's Angela Merkel. And in the UK, that would be Boris Johnson. So it's like the Queen and Bojo, Steinmeier, and Merkel. Got it. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. I can hear you laughing, Jill. <laughs> and I just feel like Bojo. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So that's so that also brings us background. Sorry, I know that was a that was long winded, but those are the five bodies in the German federal government just to and the executive right is in charge of enforcement and also a check on the other two branches to put it all in perspective so we understand what's happening and then what we're actually talking about today and what's the most important on September 26th in these elections are the legislative elections to the Bundestag, the lower house of parliament, so to speak. We hope you're enjoying this episode of September 26. If you or your company want to learn how to make a podcast or you want help making a podcast, the Bear Radio team offers a bunch of services to help you get there. Everything from workshops to consulting to full production. If you want to learn more about our services and the ways we can help you, head over to bearradio.org services. We've mentioned a lot of people, five different votes. What What is it actually? How what's, do people actually vote? In so the what's country? it actually going to look like? Um, I guess I guess to start, I think the thing that surprised me most about German elections when I first moved to Germany was just how politically engaged Germans were around the issue. There's always been a relatively high level of political participation and voter turnout. Um, and you can feel it, right? When you go into cafes, you see Germans sitting there actually reading real print newspapers, getting up on the day's issues. In the last national elections in 2017, they had a 76% turnout, which if you compare it to the United States, which is generally like in the mid 50s for decades. And then when you have a once in a lifetime event like Trump versus Biden, they saw a spike to 66%. That's really high. Um, and it's high in a, in a country where there isn't mandatory voting, like in some places, like in Australia and Brazil, but something that people turn out for just because they're interested in doing it right. One interesting thing that I like is that if you are eligible to vote, you are automatically enrolled to vote. So you kind of skip the onus of having to do all these voter registration drives like you do in the United States. I think there's 61 million, almost 61 million people who are eligible to vote in these upcoming elections. 60.4 million eligible voters. Wow. So you have to be over the age of 18. Um, as we've said, as you're going to go into, each person gets a vote for a particular candidate from their constituency, and then perhaps more importantly, a vote for a party to determine the proportion of seats in parliament. In Berlin this year, the reason it's being called a super election is because you're going to be getting five different ballots for different things and will be able to cast up to six votes. So one ballot will be for the Bundestag, the lower house of parliament, and you will get the two votes to elect your favorite party and representative. Then there's two more ballots for basically the same thing, but at the Berlin state level for the Berlin House of Representatives. Yeah, it's a lot to keep track okay. of. <laughs> but so you'll have to so you have to also figure out who you like that's just going to be representing you in Berlin. Okay. Like the, the laws they make won't affect someone who lives in Bavaria. 
um, but it will affect housing policy and stuff in Berlin. Then at the same time in Berlin, there's a ballot for local council elections. And then finally, there's one um, for a Berlin local referendum uh, on housing. I have a question. Yeah. Are the people that you would be voting for for the local council and things like that, are they also affiliated with a party? Yeah, usually. Yeah. Um, And there's tons of parties in Germany, right? There's There's the main ones that you've probably heard of. There's the CDU and the SPD, which are treated, CDU slash its sister party, CSU, plus the SPD, which are kind of like the center right and center left parties, respectively. The other names you probably hear a lot are the Greens, Die Linke, the left party, the AFD, the alternative for Germany, mm-hmm. um, and the FDP, which is a kind of pro-business friendly party. But there's tons of others. There's like the Pirate Party. Mm-hmm. There's uh, <laughs> Die Partei. There's pretty much anything you could possibly imagine. And at a local level, you probably Wait, yeah, have a better I, chance of getting one of those into office. I, yeah, Jill beat me to the punch. <laughs> but I did want to ask about when we speak about local elections, yeah. are we talking Keats local? Are we talking... Bezirk. So, um, Bezirk, okay. So like Mitte. The, okay. neighbor, the neighborhood of Mitte okay. would have a so it would be local election. Kreuzberg, yeah. Mitte, Friedrichshain. Yeah. And you're telling me that within that, I could vote for a pirate party. You can. What you is certainly pirate? can. I don't even know if they have candidates up this year. Um, Interesting. Because I can't vote. Mm-hmm. But you can vote, so you should look into their... I can vote. I will look into it. Into their, into their platform, see if it speaks to you. Okay. And actually, But that's actually interesting that you bring that up, because you do have so many parties, things like the pirate party, that, you know don't make it into the Bundestag, into the main federal parliament. And that's because the German s- system has some structural features that are built into place to make sure that you're not, that among you know those more than 700 seats, there aren't so many people from smaller parties. And it's called the 5% hurdle okay. to get into the Bundestag. So at the local level, I think it's kind of like, I'm not sure, maybe there is, maybe there's a hurdle as well. But definitely to get in at the federal level, you have to win at least 5% of the second vote. That's more That's more there so that I can't have like, you know, the Claire is a ballerina party and like there's 200 people who like it. Yeah. And maybe you like clear, you know, maybe there's just enough votes. But then if everybody did that, you would just have hundreds Understood. of parties within the Bundestag with okay. really random agendas. And it would be much harder to get everyone on board and pass policy. Okay. So that's just to make sure that there is kind of a critical mass of support for the parties that are getting into into the Bundestag. And then once the elections have happened, that's when they get together and hash out. Like it, it will be some combi- it will be some combination of these parties. Okay. So does that have any influence on how people are speaking about this as like a major election in that a lot of the parties don't have enough of a percentage to form a government and they're now teaming up? I think less about teaming up to hit the 5% hurdle to actually get representation in the Bundestag. But I think what you're what you're thinking of and hinting at is going to be the huge is is already the huge topic and will be the thing to watch in the days after the elections and that's um forming coalitions okay. among the parties who do who do make it into the Bundestag um and it's also actually the result of this distinctive electoral feature in the system in Germany which is that it's really really difficult for a single party to form a government by itself you would not have just the CDU win flat out and then the CDU is in charge. They usually go into government with another party, sometimes parties that are like on the polar 
opposite end of the spectrum, but usually they try and find common ground. Um, currently, it's the CDU and SPD that are, are governing together in coalition um, and have been for a really long time. And that's one of the criticisms is that these kind of two se- relatively centrist parties um, you know, have just monopolized German political life and they want to allow more room um, for others. Now, the, the Greens are doing really well uh, this year, and there was a moment where it was looking like they actually had a chance of getting their chancellor candidate. And let's see, let's see how well this ages uh, when we do when <laughs> when you guys put the podcast out. But I hope I'm not just blabbing at you, and this makes sense. But basically, once once those results are in, and you see what percentage of the vote the CDU got versus the Greens versus the FDP, they're all going to come together and try and hash out like, okay, can we go into government together? Can can we have a Greens CDU? Um, FDP alliance because they're going to need the support of other parties to actually form this coalition to go into government together. The next big question that I have for you is who is paying for this election? Does my taxpayer money go towards this election? How are these campaigns financed? I don't see much in the way of campaigning, to be honest. I do see posters come up. Uh-huh. There's some rallies every now and again, but when you compare it to the states and all that pomp and ceremony, yeah, that doesn't seem to happen yet. Exactly. Um, so the short answer is yes. Like there was all, there's taxpayer money going into running the actual elections themselves. This year, they're actually expecting them to be really expensive. I think the big, you know, the biggest election money-wise since reunification, and that's partly because of the coronavirus. Like. The explanation for everything this year. They're going to have to have social distancing measures, you know, plastic dividers between voting booths, rapid tests for the election workers. Um, the government also does give money to parties. But what I want to pick up on what's what's interesting, you say you haven't seen so much campaigning. That was to me also the feature when I moved to Germany that I was most surprised about was how muted it was. Like in 2017, and now it's like, are we even, we're in an election year? Yeah. Unless you're following it really closely or are a good German reading the newspaper every morning in your cafe. Um, like if you're an expat or living in, you know, living in Berlin, you could very easily wake up one day without, ha- and it would be the elections and you'd completely miss. And you'd have no idea. That it was going yeah. on. And that's because there's actually really strict rules around how long you can campaign for um, and how much money they can spend on campaigning. They have these big tacky billboards and like, cut out signs that they put on all the um, lampposts. Yes. But they will go up overnight. Like on the day of, you will see suddenly the lampposts will just be like covered in these and there will be billboards with uh, all the different parties wow. messaging. Um, and the other the other element is just in terms of money, German elections are much cheaper than somewhere like the United States. There's really strict campaign finance laws. Um, they're playing basically by a totally different set of rules to give you... An example, like the biggest parties are allowed to spend something like 20 million euros each on their entire campaign. And to put that into comparison, like Obama's 2012 campaign in the United States was like 30 times that much, closer to like 600 million euros. So you're not wrong in feeling like it's more muted. It is more muted. And I personally find that makes them a much saner, more pleasant experience because there's this limitation on when it's on you know it's less of the media circus that you get at least a year sometimes a year and a half or even two years before elections in the united states where it's like one election's over and you're already talking about the next one 
Okay. Less money, less time. Yeah, this is, the thing simple. is as well, I don't know if that I I'm di- what's it? I'm divided about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. Because just the level of sort of general apathy. I mean, you, I know you speak about like Germans being really good at this, mm-hmm. but <laughs> You know, a a lot of people also aren't, and sometimes you need kind of the, the media full years circus, build up. Yeah. exactly to kind of have you be like, oh, this is important. I mm-hmm. should do this. But then on the flip side, obviously, you don't then get to kind of make your own decision. You're very much told by you know whatever media you're consuming as to who you should mm-hmm. vote for. So this is great in the way that like I need to go and do my research to learn about these people if I want to know anything about them mm-hmm. ahead of time. Yeah. But it does also put a lot of trust in the citizens to kind of pull themselves up and to do, do it. their own research. Yeah. yeah. Um but I do still think it's really just it's giving me snapshots of things that I don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm glad that we're doing this. Yeah, me too. Like, I mean, as we, we were talking before off mic, it's not just you either. I mean, I've, I've said Germans are very plugged in and read the news, but a lot of people aren't as well. Or they read the news and they get the headlines, but actually even these concepts of like the you know different constitutional bodies and structures is still a little bit fuzzy um, yeah. and blurry too. Yeah. Okay, so it starts they're allowed to start campaigning. Mm-hmm. You'll see the posters go you'll up. You'll see everything go you'll up. You'll get sick of every you'll get sick of the faces of <laughs> Olaf Scholz and Annalena Baerbach and Armin Laschet, <laughs> etc. Then the 26th happens. Uh-huh. And yeah. that closes at 6 p.m. Yeah, polls will be closed at 6 p.m. so Got people it. will be casting their last ballots and yeah, if you watch the evening news that night there will be some early results coming in already that evening you will have to wait a little bit longer for the final result in past years it's been around two weeks to get the formal tally at the end but generally speaking those first results that you hear on election night already have tended to be correct projections so there will already be a pretty clear idea of which way it's going and from there you're going to have those coalition talks i was talking about when it's more clear which way the cookie crumbles and the parties know what they're working with in terms of support and proportion of the bundestag then they'll start getting together and talking about what they can negotiate and see how quickly that goes and are we looking like into october end of october for that so they the new parliament has to get together for the first time um, no later than one month after the vote. So I guess October mm. 26th. By, by October 26th, they will have all convened in parliament. If they're easy coalition talks and they all agree and kind of like are happy to hash hash things out, then it could be sooner than that. And I guess that to bring it all full circle, like the top candidate from the party that gets the most votes will kind of lead the coalition and have the lead role in forming a coalition. And then the president, so Frank Frank Walter Steinmeier, will then present that person as the candidate for chancellor, and then the parliamentarians will have to vote whether to approve them or not. So if the CDU kills it and you have Armin Laschet, you know, with the most votes, which currently polling is project is is projecting to be the case, again, let's see how well this ages, then most likely you would have the formality of presenting Armin Laschet as the next chancellor and then the entire Bundestag will vote to say, yeah, it's going to be this guy. Thank you. Thank you. I hope, does that help clarify? That helps clarify so much. I walked into this interview being like, I really don't know where to even begin with this conversation, but already I feel so much better about just kind of like going out now and at least being armed with the right questions yeah 
to Absolutely. be asking myself and when I'm reading articles or educating myself on these people that I'm I know where they fit into the bigger picture, which is incredibly helpful. And you're about to go on a podcast journey where you get into the candidates, into more of the mechanics. Yes, I am. You're going to be the absolute expert by the end. I am going to be the expert, as is Jill. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Claire. Thank you for taking the time to explain that so wonderfully. And yeah, hopefully we can catch up thank when, you guys. when things are more clear and I'll have more questions for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to September 26, brought to you by Bear Radio. Big thank you to Pirate Studios for letting us use their space, to Claire Richardson of Deutsche Welle for taking the time to chat with us, to Alice O'Brien for taking photos and taking notes, and to Epidemic Sound for the music. Tomorrow you can listen to episode two with Kai Wegerich, where we speak about how you can vote in a German election. We had a lot of upheaval and political conflict since the late 1960s in Germany and Europe. And so it was not all peaceful and uh, ah, the whole family goes to the voting station and that's all nice. If you want to learn more about Bear Radio and all of our awesome podcasts, you can go to bearradio.org or check us out at social media at Bear Radio Berlin. Also, if you wanted to throw a little something our way, we have a PayPal at info at bearradio.org. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye.